out, see from his hand. See from his hand. Come on, church. His hands, his feet. Sorrow and love. such love did and such love and sorrow me or thorns compose here we go or thorns compose come on so No. 
I do got to tell you, I appreciate the prayers, the thoughts. Um, my surgery went great. I'm recovering. I've got about three more weeks to be fully back. Uh, who you need to pray for, though, is Pam. Um, you know why? Because I can't lift anything. I, I can't pick up anything more than 10 pounds, which, to be honest, this is kind of fun. Uh, you know, I'm just sitting there in my seat in the couch saying, woman, get me my chicken pot pie. And, uh, you know, I, I drop a crumb on the floor. I'm like, Pam... Uh, you know, and then the other day we're out shopping because I just had to get out, but I can't carry anything. And Pam had wanted to buy this stuff. So we're walking along and I look at the reflection in the glass and realize what we look like. I'm just walking along and she's carrying all this stuff behind me. And I thought, this is what life should be. No. Uh, so it's just kind of, kind of interesting that way, but it's, it's going to be a good, good recovery. And I appreciate your prayers. Um, as we get ready to pray, I want you to be in first Peter. Uh, chapter uh, 5, and then 1 Peter 4 after that. And then you'll see in the notes where to go. But today is what we call Pro-Life Sunday. Uh, It's a time where churches across this country, Christians across this country stop, and we think about what life means from conception all the way through till God takes us home. And it's sad. I, I do love the United States, but it's sad that there's a sin going on in this country where life isn't valued. And uh, I, I just want to take some time to pray about that. By the way, the life of the preborn needs to be valued. Uh, the life, by the way, of a child that's born and is not called normal, which I'm not sure what that means, why, why we've chosen who was valued and who isn't. Uh, by the way, the elderly. Um, it's, it's God calls us to more. God calls life precious. If God has called a life into being at conception or after birth or whenever, then we need to value and protect that. And I think it does make sense, and this will go in our message, that the church is called to speak for those who cannot speak, to care for those who are not being cared for, to stand in the breach. And by the way, you might be here today and and you've been hurt by this great sin. So I, I want us to pray about it. Pray for our country. Pray for our community. Let's do that right now. Father, I want to pray and ask that you would, uh, God, you said that if you're our people, if you're people who are called by your name, would humble themselves and pray that you would look down from heaven and forgive our sin and heal our land. And we pray for a healing in this land. We pray, God, for the churches in this country to stand up and be bolder. We pray for those who we put in leadership, Lord, to be more compassionate. And, and to do what's right. We thank you for ministries like the Corona Life Center and, and other life services and the other ministries in this area who are standing boldly in the gap. We thank you for Dr. Dobson and his willingness to step out. God, we thank you for the church being a place of healing for those who have been wounded by this grave evil. So God, we pray and we ask that you be with us and you bring healing and you bring comfort. And God, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, I, uh, we're in a series called The Crucible, and we're talking about the whole idea of what God does in our life when he takes us in times of testing. We're going to get into that. But I don't know if you heard about the guy who was walking down the street, and he looked over, and he saw an elderly man sitting on the porch. This guy's rocking back and forth with big old smile on his face. He thought, I don't know that I've seen a lot of people happier than this particular man. He thought, I got to know what his secret to life is. So what happened is he, uh, he walked up there. He said, excuse me, I don't mean to bother you. The man looked at him. He said, you look so happy. And uh, the guy said, well, I, I am. He said, well, what's your secret? He goes, well, I smoke three packets of cigarettes a day. I drink a case of whiskey a week. I only eat fast food and I never exercise. The guy said, really? He goes, how old are you? He said, 26. (laughs) Uh, you, You really can't get anywhere physically. I mean, you know this, don't you? Without diet and exercise being appropriate and correct. Now, a lot of us don't want to do the grueling self-discipline of eating less and exercising more. But when you do, 
Your body responds and life is better. We, we, we actually become better off. You ready for this? God wants you to grow spiritually. It is not going to happen apart from trials. It is not going to happen without times of testing. It's not going to happen without you and I going through. And the Bible has different ways of referring to this. Times of tribulation, times of persecution, times of trial or suffering. They all point back to the same thing. Not that God doesn't love you, but God does love you. And he cares about you so much that he wants to mold you. The crucible is a place where, where precious metal is put in and heated up so that the impurities are taken out of it and the materials that are in there are perfected. Gold becomes more precious. Silver becomes more valuable. And Christians become more perfected and purified when we go through this. The crucible is a place that God puts us in because he loves us. And in 1 Peter 5 verse 10, it says this. It says, after you have suffered for a little while. Now remember, we're reviewing. Trials are necessary and trials are temporary. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his glory in Christ, his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Did you see the words will himself? God doesn't do this apart from you. God doesn't do this standing aloof from you. God is very personally involved in your life and my life in those moments. He will himself use times of testing and times of trial to perfect us, to confirm us, to strengthen us, to establish us. He is very, very involved in that. You see, God does it for our own good. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said these words, he said, we will never be a victorious church until we see suffering as a divine gift. Crossroads, we will never be a victorious church unless we see suffering as a divine gift. Any individual Christian in here, you'll never find yourself moving forward, being who God called you to be. God's goal for you is not for you and I to be comfortable. It's for you and I to be Christ-like. And Jesus said, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. We've got to understand the way of the cross is the way we're called to go. And that's why Paul says in Philippians 1.29, these powerful words, he says, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. It's a great gift of God that you and I could suffer for the name of Christ, that we get to suffer so that God might do more in our lives. We need to see that it is a divine gift, a God who loves you and cares about you more than you know, your Father in heaven, wanting you to be perfected and purified, wanting you to be better. In your Bibles, turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. And while you're turning there, we talked two weeks ago about the idea that what are we to do? How are we to act when we hit times of suffering and trial? Here's what God says. God says he wants you to enjoy it. Consider it all joy. God says he wants you to exalt in it. God says endure through it and then it's embrace the incredible gifts that come from it. God wants us to enjoy, exalt, endure, and emerge better. And, and what happens is God's great desires for that to occur. And that's why Peter, writing to people undergoing horrible trials, said these words in 1 Peter 4 verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Now notice verse 13. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you're blessed, because the spirit of glory, of God, uh, glory and of God rests upon you. That's what God's getting at for us. Bill last week pointed out something to you, and I thought Bill did a phenomenal job with it. And that is that if you understand a pattern of how Jesus worked with the apostles, he would show them something amazing and then test them. Show them something amazing and test them. And when Jesus sent them out onto the water to endure the storm, it wasn't, and I love what Bill said, it wasn't so they would drown, it's so they would rise up, so their faith would be stronger. God's great desire is for you and I to have that happen and to understand it. So here's what one, I want, don't want you to miss. God, because he loves you, tests you. God tests us. Proverbs 17, verse 3 says this, the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. Now, the word refining part is a Hebrew word, and guess what it is? Crucible. 
It's just the Hebrew word crucible. I don't know why they chose refining pot. Maybe we don't understand what a crucible is. But he says, the crucible is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the heart. He uses the same fiery idea that you and I would come out better. And we've seen that happen. He does it individually. He does it to churches. He does it to nations. And the question is, are we ready to pass the test? Frederick Neimoller, a German theologian, who stood against Hitler when Hitler was popular. I, I want to say that again. Looking back, we probably don't realize that when Hitler first rose, he was one of the most popular historical figures that ever existed. As a matter of fact, he was idolized by the whole world. Winston Churchill said that he would go down as the greatest leader that ever led. I mean, he was given accolade after accolade. Who was it that first saw the evil of Hitler and went to expose it? It was the church. As a matter of fact, before any Jewish people were arrested, 1,000 pastors were arrested for standing against Adolf Hitler. And they began to try to expose him. They saw the evil when no one else could see of Nazism and socialism. And when these men rose up, they went through a time of testing like you can't imagine. Here's what's sad. The German church as a whole ended up failing miserably. They backed Hitler. But these pastors who chose not to, these Christians who said no way, they had to pay a price. Frederick Neimoller, Diedrich Bonhoeffer are two of them. Bonhoeffer lost his life. Neimoller lost his freedom. Uh, Neimoller is famous when he was trying to inspire people to stand up for saying these words. They came first for the communists. And I didn't speak up because I wasn't a communist. They came for the trade unionists. And I didn't speak up because I wasn't a unionist. They came for the Jews. And I did not speak up because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me. And there was no one left to speak up. Now, I want you to know, though, about Neimoller, he spoke up early. He spoke up loud. He spoke up strong. And it was in 1934, when Hitler was still popular, that he called upon Christians to stand against the institutions that were rising up and the ways that were being proposed. He called for Christians to be Christians and take a stand. And he said these words in 1934. He said, it is now springtime for the hopeful and expectant Christian church. It is a time of testing. And God is giving Satan a free hand so he may shake us up so that it may be seen what manner of men we are. Satan swings his sieve and Christianity is thrown hither and thither. And he who is not ready to suffer, he who called himself a Christian only because he thereby hoped to gain something good for his race and his nation will be blown away by the chaff, as the chaff by the winds of time. The idea of wheat and chaff, the question is, which one are we? The chaff is that which is not valuable. That's which is blown away. That's which is separated off. And Neimoller said this. He said, the church will go through times of testing when we'll find out who really does follow Christ and who does not. Who is really serious about the Lordship of Christ and who's just sitting in the crowd wanting a blessing. Many of you have probably heard the story, and I don't know how accurate it is, but it was repeated often about back when the communism ruled Eastern Europe and the Iron Curtain was up and Christians were being persecuted in that area of the world in a horrible way. Arrested, tortured, killed. To having a Bible was illegal, that we were smuggling Bibles in. And the story goes that a man had smuggled some Bibles to some Romanian Christians. And when they got into a room that they thought was safe and they began to unbox the Bibles and hand them out and people cried because they could actually hold a Bible in their hands, that the man who had smuggled the Bibles looked at him and said, know this, know that the American church, we're praying for you. We're praying that God brings a relief to your persecution. And supposedly what happened is one of the Romanian pastors looked and said, oh, know that we're praying for you. And because of what we've heard of the American church, we're praying that a time of persecution comes upon you. And he said, here's why. Because when the church is persecuted, it becomes more pure. Those who are lukewarm leave quickly. Those who do not want to follow Christ with everything they have, they just fade away. Those who are Christian in name only, they won't hold that name any longer. You know, I, I got to ask you this question. I have a feeling I already know how you'll answer it. If we had to choose, and, and I don't know that we have to, but if we had to choose with Crossroads having 500 on-fire people or 5,000 lukewarm, which would you choose? What would Jesus choose? Oh, you bet. 
500 really on fire people or 5,000 lukewarm, there's no doubt. We would say, give us the 500. By the way, if we had 500 on fire people, we'll take this area for Christ. We'd set a spiritual blaze that could not be put out. We would shake this area in a way that's unimaginable if we're that on fire for God. If we have 5,000, yeah. If we have 5,000, just think what's going to happen to the state in this area of the world. God's great desire is that we understand that these tests come to fire us up, not put us out, to make us more pure, to make us more contentional, to make us more solid. That's God's great desire. So God, don't miss this, in his love, it says God tests us. Abraham. Abraham is known as the father of faith and the friend of God right? The father of faith and the friend of God. And if you and I are going to be like Abraham, which God wants us to be like Abraham, guess what? We got to get ready to be tested. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, be in Genesis chapter 22 and Genesis 12. Here's where we're going. God tested Abraham at least twice, at least twice. And and the two tests Abraham had to undergo, we will have to undergo. Now, I want to say that again. There are at least two tests God uses. There's actually more than two. But Abraham was tested in two ways that you and I will also be tested. Will we pass? By the way, Abraham ta- passed his first test, but not with flying colors. If we had to give a letter grade, he got a B, maybe a C plus. The second test, he passed with an A plus with flying colors. He was stronger, more mature, more connected to God. But I want you to catch what it says in Genesis 22 verse 1. Now, it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. See, that's just what God does. God tests. And then if you look over at Genesis, we'll come back to Genesis 22, but look over at Genesis chapter 12. Let's look at the first test that Abraham went under. Genesis 12, verses 1 to 4. Now, the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. Now catch this next line. And Lot went with him. That's where he blew it, by the way. Uh, Now Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. The first test was this go. When God tells you to go, will you go? When God tells you to go, are you going to go? Am I going to go? Or when God says, I want you to make this next step. I want you to do this particular action. I want you to step into this situation. Are we going to be willing to go? God told Abraham, I want you to go from your land, the land that you love, the city that you live in, and your family. And Abraham went right away. He just went. By the way, I don't know if you know this, but Abraham lived in a land in a city called Ur. I don't know how it got its name, Ur. I guess they were sitting around and said, what do you want to name it? Some guy goes, Ur. Go, that's it. And uh, <laughs> Ur was the metropolis of its day. It was the most beautiful city of its time. There was no more comfortable place to live than Ur. Uh, archaeological excavations tells us that they had libraries, they had theater, they had lots of lots of different ways for people to enjoy themselves. This is kind of intriguing. Ur actually had built their city, so they actually had a form of air conditioning. It was cooler to live in Ur than anywhere else by the way they built it, and even in the hot summer heat. It was literally the most comfortable, the most uh, 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 wonderful place in its day to live. And God said, I don't want you there. I want you out in the desert. I want you living in tents. I want you wandering around. I'm going to show you things you can't even imagine. You and I are going to get closer than ever. And it can't happen unless you go. So what happened is Abraham went. In Hebrews 11, 8 to 10, it says, By faith... Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, now catch this, verse 9. By faith he lived as an alien. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for a city whose foundations and whose architect and whose builder was God. He did not see the world as his home. By the way, I hope you do not see the world as your home either. I hope you see yourself as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. I hope you realize that every place we're in right now is temporary. But what we're looking for is a day to live with God in an eternal dwelling, an eternal city, an eternal place that he has for us. And the question is, when you and I are called to go, will we go? Notice it says in Hebrews that he, resi- he resided as an alien. In 1 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, when Peter was writing to a persecuted group of people, he said these words, 
Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens. Christians need to have that attitude that we have an allegiance to God. And we know that everywhere else we live is just for the moment. And whenever God tells us to go on the next step of the journey, we go. Here's the question. If God calls you to go, will you go? If God calls you to go, will you go? Because he's going to at some time. Pam and I in the late 1970s were sitting in Crossroads Christian Church. We were engaged to be married. We felt that God wanted us to go be accountants. Matter of fact, we were accepted at the University of California Humboldt to go up there and, and do that. And that's where we thought God wanted us to go. And then uh, Tim Coop, our pastor, got up and he made a plea. He said, look, we have a, a VBS kind of program coming and we don't have enough workers and we can't have the kids show up and not have somebody come. I'm going to ask this. Would, after the service, would you go outside and sign up? Would you go? And, and the Holy Spirit nodded, nudged Pam and I, and we were obedient. I looked at her and said, we ought to do it. We're brand new Christians. So we went that short distance and walked outside. But so few people signed up, even though we're brand new Christians, they gave us the whole second grade class. Now you might ask, is that like a time of testing and trial to have second graders? If you knew those kids, you would have thought it was. But you know what happened is God ignited inside of us a desire and love for ministry together like you can't imagine. It was a baby step, but God asked me to make a baby step. He asked Pam to make a baby step, and we did it. We took a step and signed up to do a, a, an easy ministry in reality. But oh my goodness, even though when those two weeks were over, we were dead tired, I got to tell you something inside us said we can't not go back to doing something like this. We've got to get involved. Then God, a few weeks later, said, go to Angeles Crest Christian Camp and be high school counselors. I won't go into the whole story, but that blew us away. And God ignited something in us then. Then God told me to go to Hope University. And so not to be an accountant. And so we left that and we went to Hope University. And then God wanted us to leave Crossroads and go to a church in San Bernardino and then a church in Garden Grove. And then, and here's what happened. Every place we went, we said, God, we'll just be here as long as you want us to be. We'll be here for life. But in our early days of ministry, God never had us very anywhere very long. As a matter of fact, if you look back over my ministry years, you would have said that I was committing professional suicide by what I did. Now, here's why. Because typically, you as a pastor, you go to a smaller church and then to a bigger church and to a bigger church. God never let me do that. Uh, every time we went to a church and it began to flourish... The next church we went to had a smaller ministry. And nobody would say that's the way to go. And by the way, every place where we were at, we loved it. Uh, we never left a place we didn't love. But we just knew when God said go, you got to go. Uh, we were at Not Avenue Christian Church doing youth ministry there. God was blessing more than you can imagine. As a matter of fact, and, and this is really true, it was one of the largest youth ministries in all the United States. God had just done something incredible. The elders were phenomenal. The church was phenomenal. We never loved life more than that. And I we was at the pinnacle of, 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 of success when the phone rang and I picked it up and it was Tim Coop again. And he said, Chuck, we need you back at Crossroads. Uh, the youth ministry here has fallen apart. Our, our youth pastor, who was incredible, had gotten so sick he wasn't able to go on and it just fell apart. I'm leading a ministry that's literally one of the largest in the nation and he's asking me to come and take one that's literally just horrible. You ready for this? It would also mean I'd have to take a one-third cut in pay because the church just couldn't afford it. And you know what? As Pam and I prayed, he showed us beyond a shadow of a doubt we had to go. When God says go, you just go. And I want to tell you the first few months here were hard, but all of a sudden a revival broke out that we can't imagine. It was incredible what occurred here and, and what God did and the number of people that came to know Christ, the way we affected back then the only two high schools in the area, Corona and Norco High. And, and we watched God do something amazing. And, and then right when we got to our height of success, God said, go again. And I'm like, you're not now. It's just really going. And the Lord put on our heart, no, you got to go to Tucson, Arizona. That Tucson, Arizona. Who wants to go to Tucson, Arizona? <laughs> the Bible talks about Tucson. It does. It says, when demons go out, they go to the waterless places. <laughs> Tucson, Arizona. Now, when we went, I got to tell you what happened, and I won't get into the whole story again. I now know why God took us there. It was to humble me. Man, I got kicked in the gut. I got taken to a level you can't imagine. I got brought to my knees. I found out something. I found out I wasn't all that. Some of you go, we already knew that. 
But you know what? God put me in a place of the fires of testing like you can't imagine. And I found out I didn't know it all. I, up till then, I was the young guy who thought I could tell every church in the United States how to run. I found out my answers weren't good ones. And it hurt. It hurt to be humbled. It hurt to be obliterated. It, it was the only place it could happen. And God showed me me. And he showed me how I need him more than ever. And then when I learned that lesson, that church started taking off. So you already guess what happened. As soon as it reached like an incredible height, God called us to go to the West Covina San Dimas area to a church that would be called Christ Church of the Valley. Now again, we're at the height of success. We're seeing things go. And, and this is a church that had so exploded, had so many problems, it was about to go out of existence. The senior pastor that asked us to come, Ron Keller, was leaving a thriving ministry in Tucson to go to not knowing not know what would happen. He said, come be with us there and do youth ministry. And I told Ron, there is no way I'm going to go there. So he started calling me almost every other day saying, has God told you to come yet? And I'd say, Ron, no, he hasn't. I promise he's not telling. And I'd hang up. A few days later, Pam, it's Ron Keller. He wants us to come. Ron said, I'm praying he's going to tell you to come. Finally, after one call, I thought, he's not going to leave us alone. Pam goes, well, let's just go out there. So we went and visited and I fell in love with the elders and I saw the hurt and the pain. I saw Ron's vision of what he wanted to do and I could see supporting him, but it just seemed wrong. So I went back and thought, I'll call three friends. All three of my friends said, don't go. The second one said, don't go, let the church die. It deserves to die. The third one told me, Chuck, it's the worst idea ever. Do not go, do not go. I know that church. I know the leaders there. They, it's, it, they don't want to do anything for Christ. And then after he hung up, he wrote me a letter saying, do not go. And I showed Pam the letter and I said, we don't have to go. And she looked me in the eye. She said, we do. She goes, we do. I thought, no. And uh, we went. And God let us stay there 19 years. It was awesome. That church is just still, I love that church today. The people there are so close, their family. And 19 years of our life, we watched our kids grow up and be loved there. We watched God do things there. We saw amazing things happen there. It just was incredible. Man, I'm so glad we went. And then right when I reached the, what I felt was the height of success at CCV, I got a call to come to Crossroads. And you know, I, I won't go into the whole story, but I am so glad I came. What God has taught me about me here and taught me about me being with you, how you've made me better, how the staff has made me better, the leaders, the elders, you know, Frank and all of you are so made me, I've just come to learn and to be with you and what God's doing here. I just get, I get so amazed at how God's moving. But I want to say, I am so glad every time God said go, we've gone. And you know what I want to tell you? When God asked you to go, will you go? But notice this. Abraham had a problem. He was to go without any family, and he brought Lot with him. By the way, I want you to know there's not a lot about Lot that's any good at all. As a matter of fact, I can't find anything in the Bible good about Lot. And, and when he brought him, it was problem after problem after problem after problem. So here's the point. Are you ready? I, I wish I could get into it more. Maybe another time we will. When Abraham brought Lot, that was an area of failure in his life. So did he pass the test with an A plus? No. Did he get a B? Maybe. Maybe a C. I want to ask this though. How did God feel about Abraham? He still loved him. When you don't pass the test, let me ask you how God feels about you. If you get a B, you get a C. What if you get an F? He's not going to stop loving you, but he's not going to stop testing you. By the way, I really believe this just because I know my heavenly father if you fail, here's the good news. He'll put you through it again. So it's better to get it right the first time. So, uh, but, 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 but that's the thing is that it happened. By the way, God's calling all of us to go. Matthew 28, 18 to 20 says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them and said, All authority has been given me into heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I want you to go. I want you to teach. I want you to baptize people. By the way, everybody here, if you've never gone to be baptized, going to be baptized, you were called to do that. You were to, as you go share Christ with people. One of my favorite passages of scripture, especially out of the New King James Version. Psalm 84, 5 to 7. Boy, this is underlining stuff. Especially again out of New King James. I think they nailed this translation. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage, 
As they pass through the valley of Baca, Baca means weeping. As they pass through the valley of weeping, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. God wants you and I to be on a pilgrimage. This life is a pilgrimage. It's a journey. We're not to get too settled. And every step we go, we're going to go to another place of strength and another place of strength. And at the times you're in the valley of Baca, the valley of weeping, every tear you cry turns it into an oasis, a pool of joy. Because God is able to cause all things to work together for good for those who love him and live their lives according to his purpose. Psalm 32 verse 8 tells us something. God will lead you in this. He says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. And then Isaiah 48, 17 says, Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit, who leads you in the way you should go. He wants to personally do this. Remember 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. He himself will perfect you, will confirm you, will strengthen you, will establish you. God wants to lead you and he wants to have you experience that. Hopefully you will pass the test of going. Your next test is this. Will you pass the test of giving? Back in Genesis 22, turn back there. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And God said to him, take now your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go up to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on the mountain of which I tell you. I want you to put your son on the altar and put him to death. I want you to give me your only son, the one you love and treasure most. I want you to be able to take what you love more than anything and put it on an altar and give it to me. Will you give it? Will you give it? And here's the question. Would we give to God what we value most? Now, I do want to quickly tell you it's worth noting that that Abraham knew that God had put a special promise on the life of Isaac that through him there would literally be a nation after nation risen up a people. Isaac was not married. He didn't have a child. Abraham believed God's promise so he knew that Isaac would at least have nothing else be spared or have to be risen again. The reason I bring that up is because some of you who are parents are going, man, if God asked me to give my kids, I just don't know that I could do that. And, 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 and that's not asked of you. Those promises aren't on your children. Some of you are thinking, if God asked me to give my kids, where do I drop them? And uh, uh, so, so that's not for you either. Okay, they are your test. But here's the question though. Abra- it wasn't easy. This is the most painful moment of his life. But God said, I want to know, will you give me what you value most? When God calls for you to give, will you give? Soren Kierkegaard said that you and I can never truly understand Christianity unless we understand the story of Abraham and Isaac. You can never understand Christianity unless you're ready to believe and to trust God with what you value and treasure most. Are you willing to give to him? And God may take some things from you. He really might. Job had his children taken from him. And what did Job said? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. There are some of you in this room right now, it's been very real. And I believe God may be more a part of what's going on than you know. A house that you love may be gone and you, you need to say, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. You, um, you may have lost somebody. And, and I'm not just saying that. I've been talking to too many people. And it wasn't easy and it hurt. It hurts. And you know what? I hope that you understand God. God says, hang on to me through this. You'll make it. In Proverbs 23, it says, surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. You might right now be in your time of testing, but the question is, are you willing to give to God everything he asked you to give? Are you willing to say to him, I'm not going to let go? Proverbs 11, 17 and 19 says, or I'm sorry, Hebrews. Hebrews 11, 17 and 19 says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, and Isaac, your descendant, shall be called. See, he said, there's this promise on him. So verse 19, Abraham considered that God was able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. 
When he was willing to give to God, it said he got more back than he can imagine. But he was willing to give to God. And when God said give, he gave. And whenever God asked you and I to give anything, are we willing to give it in that moment and say, God, I do it with joy. Anything I can give, small or great, I'll give to you. I'm willing to do that. I won't hold back. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone wants to come after me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For he would seek to save his life, hang on to this life you have, will lose it. But if you're willing to lose that life for, for the Lord, he said, you will gain. You will gain. That's the great thing God wants for us. That's what he wants us to understand. Are we going to pass the test? It was in Nazi Germany when Corrie Timboom and her family Stand decided they couldn't sit back silently while Jewish people were being arrested and taken away. The word they heard is they were being tortured and killed. And they said, we have to do something. Anybody who did anything to protect someone Jewish was also brought under the same cruel fate. But her mom and dad said, we can't do nothing. And Corey Timboon talked about a time when she was a little bit older teenager sitting in her living room with her, her pastor. And sitting in the same living room was a, a Jewish girl who had just had a baby, a little girl. And she looked at the pastor and said this, will you take this girl and her baby into your house? And the pastor said, no. If I do that, I'll be arrested. If I do that, I might die. And she remembered sitting there grieving that the man who was to be her spiritual leader wasn't willing to do this. They already had so many people in their house, they couldn't take anyone else. And she looked at him and she started pleading, this baby, this mother. And he said, no, I can't lose my life for this child. And then they heard a sound and turned around and her father was standing there. Tears forming in his eyes as he looked at this man he loved, not willing to rise up. Corey Timboom said that her father walked over to the young girl. He said, hand me this baby. And he took that baby into his arms and held it close and he said these words. He said, you say that we could lose our lives for this child? I would say that is the greatest honor that could come to my family. And by the way, he ended up losing his life. But he, he's honored. God calls for us to be willing to go and give. And in any moment, whether large or small, we need to be willing to do it. And the result is incredible. James 2, 21 to 23, so was not Abraham, our father, justified by works when he offered up Isaac on his altar. You see that faith was working with his works. And as a result, catch this, and as a result, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and was reckoned to him as righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. When you and I go where God wants us to go and give what God wants us to give, we are God's friend. Our faith grows, our intimacy with him grows, and we become the literal friend of God. You and I were not created to just worship God from a distance. You were created to be in an intimate relationship with him. But if you're going to be in a relationship with him, it's with him as your father. And when Jesus is your savior and your Lord, and with you and I saying this, I will not hold back. God, whatever you want me to do, whoever you want me to be, I'll do it. And I hope today that's what you would say. I hope today you would say that. I'll do it. Some of you might say, I'm not sure. Even if you in the midst of that would say, God, I'm not sure, but help me because I want to be that person. I don't want to hold on. I want to let go. And by the way, the minute you're willing to let go, I'll tell you what happens almost every time. You gain more than you could possibly imagine. God pours more in your life than you could possibly imagine. That's why Jim Elliott said these words. He said, no man is a fool who gives up what he cannot possibly hope to gain to gain what he cannot possibly hope to lose. It's the greatest life you could ever live. And if you and I would agree together to trust God with all our heart and say, God, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. And whatever you want me to give, I'll give. And that may be different for you than me. But when you're willing to do it, get ready for what God's about to do. And don't miss this. He only does it because he wants to be your friend. Are you the friend of God? Is he your friend? He wants to be. You might say, well, okay, how do I enter into that? If you're brand new, it's not about a religion, it's about a relationship where he becomes your father, your Abba father, the Bible says, your dad. And you enter into it by saying, I want this. Adopt me, take me, let me give my life to you. And today there's some of you right here, God has so many amazing things for you, but are you ready to say that? Are you ready to go there where you and in your mind pray this prayer and say yes to him? What we're gonna do in a moment is I'm gonna go to a time of prayer and I'm gonna just pray that God touches some of you today.
And then what you're going to do in a moment is you're going to pray a prayer with me. I'll just pray it and you, right where you're sitting, whisper it. And you just tell him, I'll do whatever you want, want, Lord. I'll be who you want me to be. And if you would pray that prayer and say that to him, then God's going to take you. Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone would open up to me, I would come into him and he with me. Today, today, if you need this, God wants you to have it. If you're here and you're not close to him, he wants it for you. So I'm going to ask you right now to, to be willing to pray that prayer. Today, if you're not a, a Christian who's truly on fire for God, you need to recommit. You need to come back. You need to be revived. I'm going to ask you to pray the prayer with us too. And say, God, I will not hold back anymore. And we just whisper it and renew your vows. But let's start by having this as a Crossroads family pray together. Let's pray. Father, I pray for this church, this church that's your church that you've had your hands on since 1892. That through all those years, Lord, it's been used for your ministry, for your glory. May we today even more so be. I pray this church is not a church of 500 on fire people and 4,500 lukewarm. God, I pray we're all on fire for you. I pray we all, Lord, want to give and, and go wherever you want us to do and be. God, I pray that we're yours completely and we don't hold back. So Father, may this be a place that you look at with blessings and joy. And may we, Lord, continue to rise up. For those of our family that are weaker, may we put our arms around them and help them. But God, I pray that we would be used to your glory. And oh Lord, my Father in heaven, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would move in this church, in this room, and I pray you'd start touching anybody right now who needs to commit or recommit their life to you. Oh, Lord, may you stir up on their heart. May they sense you. God, I pray somehow they can just sense this is it. And God, I, I, I believe there's somebody here today that's afraid of this. And they, you, they've sensed you calling them before, but right now they're afraid. They know this is their time. And I know they have no idea how great life's going to be if they'll say yes. So I pray that they're going to open up and they're going to pray this prayer. Father, I pray for the person who's hurting today. They're in pain. They've lost someone. They're kind of angry at you, Lord. But I pray right now that there's something happening and the pain, the pain's starting to go. They're starting to feel love. Father, I pray for the, the couple that's here that needs to give their marriage to you, their children to you. Their home needs to be a Christian home. And Lord, I want to pray right now. God, I want to pray for the person who does feel like they've lost everything. And they're about to gain more than they can imagine when they just say, Lord, this is for you. Blessed are you. So Lord, we pray that you would touch anyone right now who needs to come or recommit. Please touch them. I'm going to ask that we keep praying. And if you're right with God, would you do this? Would you pray for everyone who needs to make this decision? But right now, I'm going to lead a prayer. And today, if you want to say yes to God or you want to recommit to him, I'm going to ask you, would you pray this prayer with me? Think about the words. Just whisper them. Actually, whisper them. But right now, if he loves you and wants you, do you want him? If so, say these words. Say, Lord Jesus. I know that you love me. And I know that you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurt and my pain, to free me from my fear, to make me alive, to make me new, and to make me yours. And I say yes. I want this. And I want you. So I open my heart to you. Please fill me with your love and fill me with your spirit and help me be who you created me to be and help me live the life you have for me to live. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. And if you pray that prayer today, praise God.